You're listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and tax industry lead for U.S. international corridors. We're glad you could join us. Enjoy the program. Our next chapter of the global tax transparency story is public country-by-country reporting. So when the confidential version of CYC hit the desk back in 2015, multinational groups were not what anyone might call thrilled. And they were even less excited to hear talks of public CYC not long thereafter. But with all the attention that BEPS 2.0 has been getting lately, public CYC may have slid a little bit out of focus. Well, it's back and with a vengeance. So we've invited several folks to join us today to discuss. Courtney Wallace, my co-host and an international tax principal from our Detroit office. Raluca Inake, director from the EU Tax Center. And John Derhanesian, who leads country-by-country reporting for KPMG US. So this is another of our Futures programs, where we introduce you to our shining stars amongst our more junior team members. So today we'd like to welcome Federica Porcari, a manager from our Washington National Tax International Tax Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Kim, to your point, I do think we've been on quite a journey with C by C, and I have been getting a bunch more questions from my clients around where we are. The rules really have been changing, and this public C by C has brought it back up to the surface. Federica, it feels like this discussion on public CYC, whether to have it, whether to not, it's been going on for a little while. And to be honest, I think we'd heard more than once in the past that the idea is nice, but not really going anywhere. Can you take us through a bit of the background? Oh, yes, sure. So I think we can say that over the years, we have seen a shift in the global tax landscape, which has resulted in public and political pressure to tackle perceived harmful tax practices, particularly by corporate entities. For this reason, the OECD adopted country-by-country reporting requirements as part of its BEPS initiative. Transparency and reporting in general were seen as critical to the success of the overall BEPS project. That being said, other institutions such as the European Union have been driven by one other key motivation in their work around tax transparency. And this motivation is to ensure public accountability and also to promote a more informed public debate around the level of compliance of certain ME group. So therefore, in parallel with the non-public OECD country-by-country reporting, the EU has introduced public C-by-C rules. So this was almost like ESG before ESG. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds very ESG-like, although I don't think anybody talked about it that way. It really didn't take long for what had been a very private and confidential process of C-by-C information exchange to very quickly turn into a discussion about public disclosure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Yes, absolutely, Kim. Fire call. Like, it wasn't really necessarily, like, the EU introduced it and everybody was on board, right? No, 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 no. The initiative since 2016 has been in deadlock until early 2021, in part due to the disagreement on its legal basis, which determines whether the proposal should be subject to the qualified majority voting in the Council or unanimous approval at the council level. The other reason also that caused this deadlock was the concern raised by certain member states with respect to the sharing of sensitive data of multinational companies that might affect competitiveness. But this concern was addressed in 2019, where the compromise text was revised and comply or explain clause was added. Very shortly, companies are given the possibility to omit some of the information that would be otherwise disclosable when the disclosure would be seriously prejudicial to their commercial position. I certainly have companies that I work with that don't report from one chain to the other chain. And now we've gone from that, right, to, hey, I have to share my C by C to, hey, now it's public. Here we go, right? Right. I know. I think about the conglomerates, for example. You know, one business doesn't talk to another business about how they're doing. (laughs) Absolutely um, not. Yeah. And so now this is all going to be on the table for everyone to see. Are there particular jurisdictions where we had holdouts? And is there a little bit of background on why those jurisdictions otherwise were reluctant to get on board? Well, do you want the long story or the short story? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and give us the long story. <laughs> the proposal was put forward by the European Commission in 2016. And I think at that time, everyone thought it was going to die a slow death because most member states were opposed to it. There was no progress made for a very long time. And also it was not very clear to the public which member states were blocking the proposal. So there was nothing that could be done to try to persuade them. But that changed, I think, in the autumn of 2019, when some of the internal documents of the EU institutions were released to the public and it became known which countries were actually trying to block the file. Three countries, Sweden, Austria, and Portugal, were a very big surprise because the governments in those three countries had actually promised to support tax transparency initiatives at EU level. And yet here they were behind the scenes actually blocking the file. In Austria, actually, the Austrian parliament obliged the government to vote in favor of the European Commission proposal in the Council. Also, the Portuguese were forced to change their position as well. So that represented a major switch from, you know, not being able to reach qualified majority voting to now very likely being able to do that. So that all happened in autumn 2019. And in December 2019, a few things happened that gave this a little bit more momentum. Finland was holding the presidency of the European Union at the time. And they updated the text, clarified the aim and the content of the proposal to address concerns regarding the legal base. So basically just to clarify that this is not a tax file, but it is a transparency initiative. So subject to qualified majority voting rather than as a tax file, which would be subject to unanimity. It's kind of ironic, don't you think, that it was transparency as to the voting and the 
hidden objectives that gave rise to a change in position that gives rise to transparency. Exactly, Uh, exactly. And that's even the end of the story, because with regard to Austria, who had this requirement from their parliament to support this file, it was later discovered in early 2021 that the Austrian government representative was still trying to block the file. It's very ironic because the European Parliament rapporteur for this file is also Austrian. (laughs) At least what was reported in the press was that she immediately demanded that they change their position, which actually happened and that really helped take the file across the line. A bit of scandal to push things across the finish line. Was Germany sitting on the fence for a little while? Yes, exactly. Germany is a story on its own. The position of Germany was really important because they held the presidency of the council in the second half of 2020. And basically, they were able to decide if they should prioritize this file or not. And they chose not to. Initially, Germany's public position, so in the early days in 2016, was against the initiative. They basically said that it would be detrimental to competition for EU MNEs. But later on, the position for Germany became undecided. And this was apparently due to a lack of agreement within the German government. So Germany was, as you say, on the fence. But during their presidency in the second half of 2020, they decided not to prioritize this file. So despite all these changes in positions that we mentioned in Austria and in Portugal and in some other member states as well, no progress was made on this file in 2020. And then in 2021, Portugal took over the presidency and Portugal were very, very keen to make a mark as a presidency. So they dug out all these files that had been in deadlock, not just in the space of taxation, but more broadly in the EU. They dug them all up and they really, really pushed member states to make progress on them. And public country-by-country reporting was one of them. That's why in early 2021, things started to change. So, Federica, what's kind of the current status we have out there? The directive was published in the official journal of the EU on December 1st, 2021. The EU member states have until June 22nd, 2023 to transpose the directive into the national law. And the rules will apply 12 months after the transposition. Of course, individual member states may choose to apply the rules at earlier date. That said, if we don't have earlier adopters, the first financial year should be the one starting on or after June 22nd, 2024. So for calendar year and taxpayer would be FY 2025. So it sounds like then we've got the similar potential challenge depending on when folks adopt, but we've got kind of a date in the sand on when the minimum would be. Yeah. Yeah. JD, if the UK had not Brexited, I think the UK would be a pretty good candidate for early adoption. Yeah, and it's still a possibility. UK Parliament gave Treasury the ability to draft these rules at any time, and this was back when they were still part of the EU. They said they didn't want to go it alone. They were waiting for the rest of the international community. Well, the international community has now gone along with them, at least some of the international community. We've also seen some of the Nordic countries that are not members of the EU 
say that they were just waiting for some other country or, or block of countries to act and then they would move along in the same fashion. So it, it's not inconceivable that we could get earlier reporting before 2025. We've even had a little bit of movement along the same lines in the United States, right? The House has passed a bill that would call for public C-by-C reporting. Probably doesn't have much of a chance. But if it gets attached to another larger bill, it could see some movement. I think the one mistake folks make with this bill is just saying, well, that's a progressive bill. Everyone on the left is for it. Everyone on the right is against it. I don't think that's actually true. There were Democrats who voted against it. And I do think there are folks on the right, some populist members, who would be in favor of this, especially now that the international community has gone along with it. If this does go forward, we'll see what a final bill looks like. But right now, I think folks should think of this as taking your Form 8975 and effectively putting it into your 10K. There's a lot of confusion with clients because... We might get something public in the United States. We may piggyback off the OECD because we're not going to piggyback off the EU directive, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. And the EU really, by taking it private, really kind of pivoted away from what had been the original OECD architecture and concept. What are the major differences between the private and public versions of these rules? So if we can set the definitions aside, I think there's three things that really pop when you look at the EU public directive. First is the filing threshold. Now, that's not going to be an issue for a lot of MEs out there. The filing threshold under Action 13 is, of course, 750 million euro, 850 million US dollars. And it's a look back rule. So a quick example, if you're a company who has never historically filed a C by C, and then what I'm going to call year one, you cross the threshold, you now are responsible for filing a report with respect to year two. Year two doesn't have to also cross the threshold. You could be back down to 600 million euro, for example, in year two. Nevertheless, you're still tasked with filing a C by C not a big issue for a lot of MEs out there, but it's not an uncommon one. We have seen MEs who have flipped in and out of CYC. The EU directive tries to take care of this problem, tries to smooth it out. In order to have a EU public CYC filing requirement, year two also has to be at or above that threshold. So if year two is below the threshold, they're out of public CYC. So gives us a little bit of stability there. There had been discussions both at the OECD level and with respect to some of the EU prior proposals that the threshold, that 750 million euro threshold drop. There is talk. There is a chance they'll revisit that threshold and decide to take it down. I don't see the OECD doing that right now, but again, in a few years they could revisit it. But the same I think is true at the EU level where they have said they are going to revisit these rules, I believe in four years and, and see if they need to cast a wider net. I want to say that a couple of years ago, when the OECD invited public commentary, the question about threshold was on the list of questions. That's absolutely right. So that's part of the 2020 review. I think there was enough pushback. I think when this all first came about, they thought you already have this information. It's just a matter of cobbling it together and putting it on a report. And it's just not that simple, even for the largest of companies who have a lot of resources at their disposal. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. 
And hopefully they will understand that if they want to go down the rung, scoop up smaller companies, that's going to be a real, real burden on those companies. Yeah, to me, that is the biggest argument against casting that wider net. When the first round of private C by C rules, the guidance was posted, there was so much flexibility in the rules that was really intended to benefit taxpayers, to let them make choices as to sources of data, let them make choices as to how to present payroll, things like that. But what it's done is to create a little bit of a hot mess certainly from one taxpayer to another because the sources of data are not the same. But even within the same C by C for one taxpayer, the sources of data are permitted to be different. And so you're not necessarily even going to get the apples to apples comparison within the four corners of one filing getting a little uncomfortable, right? We've got all these assets, we've got the employees, we've got separate units, and we've got to pull out all of this information. We know how hard that is for the bigger companies, but going back maybe to our earlier discussion, as we get smaller, the systems at these companies are tougher. Getting this information at some of those smaller multinationals is really going to be a heavy lift. No, I think that's absolutely right. The EU directive picks up on largely the same data points, but they said you don't have to report stated capital or assets, which are two of the data points on the private C by C or the non-public C by C. Hard to see what anyone is doing with those stated capital numbers. They don't make a ton of sense, to be quite honest. But assets is another story altogether. Now, for some companies, assets is not a big deal. Maybe they've got a handful of laptops and that's what their biggest asset is at the end of the day. And it's just not a lot. But for a lot of our clients, a lot of taxpayers out there, manufacturers of the world, assets are a big thing. You've got factories and countries, you've got buildings, land, whatever it happens to be. But assets are a big part of your story. And we may find folks wishing to go beyond what the director requires. I'm going to put my assets out there because the assets are such a key part of my story that if I don't put it out there, I'm actually doing a disservice to myself. I'm not telling the right story. That's right. You've got to control the narrative to the extent that you can. The other big one is the issue of statelessness. Traditional CYC had this concept of statelessness. At the end of the day, it really meant, do you have any tax transparent entities in your structure? If the answer was yes, then typically you would take those entities and you're pulling them out of the jurisdiction where you traditionally think they're in and sticking them in the stateless jurisdiction. And then you're double counting revenues and profits. And the term stateless has a pejorative connotation from it, even though at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with operating in partnership form. That concept doesn't appear in the EU public directive. So I think that we're going to find companies who have state structures are going to have to unpack those structures. So now you're going to have a report, a public C by C report that has numbers that, in fact, do not tie to your private C by C. For the clients who have those stateless structures, I think they need to think about that. Yeah. So, JD, as a practical matter, what are companies doing today? And maybe the question really should be, what should they be doing today? Step one here is let's figure out what my public C by C looks like. Let's do that walk between non-public and public. Let's see what it looks like, a pro forma 
if you will, EU public C by C. And after you've done that, I think you want to take it and socialize it around the organization. You want the C-suite to see it. You want investor relations to see it. It, it takes a village. There are other documents out there, 10Ks, even just the about us section of your webpage. What does that say about you? And how does that mesh with your public C by C. It's one thing to have a conversation with a tax authority about a report that is private. You have other documentation to back that up, a master file, local files, whatever it happens to be. It's a whole nother thing when it goes public. And now the public can see it and they can interpret, or more importantly, have the potential to misinterpret your data. So Raluca, there's so many similarities in Pillar 2 with respect to the C-by-C threshold. There are pieces where you look at exclusions based on payroll and assets and things like that. There's so many data points that we could pull out of the C-by-C. Is there a possibility that what had been the information return actually ends up turning into a real tax return? Actually, the European Union is considering coming out with a separate ETR disclosure initiative. So that will be completely separate from public CYC. It will be a directive that requires in-scope companies to publish externally their effective tax rates. But those will be determined based on the Pillar 2 methodology. So it's an extra step to make the information public, but not based on public C by C, rather based on how those amounts and percentages are determined under Pillar 2. And we are expecting to see a draft directive and it will tie in fully with the Pillar 2 directive. What would be the scope of those ETR statements? Do we think it would just be EU parented multinational enterprise groups, so ME groups? Or would it be operations within the EU? We don't really know yet. We only know that they will definitely require ETR publication for each jurisdiction in the EU. But we've only heard very short statements from European Commission representatives. It might be that EU operations of non-EU parented groups will be caught as well if they meet the thresholds. So if we look at public country-by-country reporting, Data has to be presented on a country-by-country basis for EU jurisdictions, but also for those countries that are on the EU list of non-cooperative jurisdictions and those that are being monitored, so the so-called grey list. Everything else is reported in aggregate. But because this will be a completely separate initiative, we don't know if there's going to be any sort of parallel between the two. To a certain extent, that's the hardest part. If there was one initiative one set of rules, maybe it's multifunctional or multi-purpose, and many different stakeholders in different jurisdictions are looking at a single report, that would be one thing. And we would have to clean up some of the hot mess to cure the apples versus oranges versus kittens comparisons within a single report. But it's really hard if you have one report for public, a different report for private, separate ETR statement that has similar data points, but slightly different for the EU. And then who knows what else is going to happen outside of the EU. That's the hardest part of all. So this seems like an area where normally the saying is less is more. 
But here we're going to have more and more is actually leading to less, right? Because we're going to have less certainty because there's so much more information in different formats with different requirements that there's going to just lead to less certainty for everybody involved. Public C by C. Hopefully this is the beginning of the end as opposed to the end of the beginning of this particular story. Not that it hasn't been an interesting one, but maybe things have settled out so that m groups can just crack on, as painful as that may be. I guess we'll see. In the meantime, be good. Stay well. We'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to speaking to you next time.